Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So, Guy, Nick Mason, sourceful of secrets, of which we are um, two-fifths, right? Are, we're going back out on the road in the summer across the UK. We are. We're, it's all of June, so brace yourself. What's it called? It's called the Set the Controls Tour. What a brilliant name. Who do you uh, think could have come up with such a great name for a tour, Gary? I wonder. I think yeah. I'm looking at him, right? But then right. I did come up with uh, Nick Mason's source of secrets. You did. And in fact, that came up in a podcast then because you were inspired by Woody Woodman's U-boat, weren't you? I was, yes. Anyway, anyway, but enough of that. So join Nick, Guy, Lee Harris, uh, Don Beacon and me as we celebrate the early years with you know, that incredible, it's an incredible body of work, isn't it? The early Pink Floyd. It goes up to just before Dark Side of the Moon. It goes up to 1972, all the film soundtracks, all the Sid stuff, stuff you've never mm. heard, stuff that no one's ever Echoes, heard, frankly. Obviously. Echoes is the big sort of, you and, know, uh, uh, what is that? What would you call it? Magnum opus. Yeah, I love a Magnum, don't you? Yeah, I never met Magnum. <laughs> was he, was he, um, anyway, tickets are on sale now and you can buy yours at uh, myticket.co.uk. And Kilimanjaro Live presents Nick Mason's Sourceful of Secrets, the Set the Control Tour. All right, Gary. How are you doing, Gary? How's, how's everything with you? How's your week been? My, uh, well, it's been, you know, like every other week. Um, just down here, you know, daily prescribed exercise and the odd trip to the shops. I can see your your you've got the Taurus bass pedals out in the background. I, yeah, I have. But uh, they make. Well, that's because I, I'm going to have to start learning how to use them in case we actually go on tour. Yeah, absolutely. And to explain what they are, what do they do? They're Taurus uh, Taurus bass pedals. They're um, well, they're they're for they're the progiest of prog accoutrements, aren't they? They're they're when the bass player is so busy that he, he's got to actually play the bass with his feet because he's playing mandolin or a 12-string yeah. or something. John Paul Jones play the, plays them. John Paul Jones, everyone had them. They were, and it's, they're actually, they're a nightmare. Let's be honest. I mean, anyway, you, you can't be, because obviously, I mean, you, you, can't, you can't be flash or anything because you've got to stand up at the same time. But yeah. anyway, but, but actually we're going for something, uh, we're going in a more traditional direction today, aren't we? We are fabulous Irish artists we're speaking yeah. to. Yeah, who's who's brought out two albums since lockdown, or an, an album of poetry that was amazing, and uh, I mean she's a, she's a really fantastic person, a powerful uh, voice. She's a very powerful voice. I mean, in in every regard. So let's get her on. Welcome to Rock on Tours. Okay, guys, I'm ready. This was great, guys. I, I, it's so great to talk to two guys that have done this. Well, it's a big tune for sure. I actually wrote that originally for Tina Turner. Of course, I had gone and found Joni Mitchell down in Florida and brought her back. You know, what people forget about Bowie is that he was such a kind man. Remember me? I'm in a band now. <laughs> it's called Roxy Music. You know this thing about the 10,000 hours of experience? Oh, yeah, too, too, Get good yeah. at something. When we recorded Arnold Lane, we'd done about 50 hours. The Rock Contours podcast with Gary Kemp and Guy Pratt. Hey, how you doing? Good. Very good. Are I, you well? Uh, I'm well. I can't speak for Gary. <laughs> <laughs> I am. You know, just a, you know, I'm, I'm finding it all a bit still stressful. Can't wait to be out the other end properly. But um, Guy and I have had our jabs. Oh, good. You're free. <laughs> We're well, free. Where are you, Imelda? I'm in Hampshire. Oh, Hampshire. 
Not that far yeah. from me. I'm in Sussex, so it's down the road. Okay, that's not far at all. This is no. where I live, but I was um, because I had this with you this morning. I was pretty good last night, considering it was St Patrick's night. I thought I better. Oh, of course. Oh God, we this... we should have thought. I'm so sorry. Did we no, grab St Patrick's? This... Yeah, this could have been way more um, difficult than it is. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like a few years ago, it would have been you. Ronnie would have still been there, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, was a, it was a good one. We did a, an online gig just for fun in the kitchen. Oh, I saw a bit of it on Instagram, yeah. Yeah, it was just me and my boyfriend and the dog and a few friends zooming in. It was nice. It's just simple. It was just filming what we'd be doing anyway. But, yeah, it was... It was good. How often do you get to go back to Ireland? Well, normally I go every couple of months, but I have I only went in January and I haven't been in it almost a year before that. So it's it's heartbreaking. What about yeah. you? Yeah, no, I've got well, I've got my three boys at home. So uh and we've been doing lots of homeschooling. It's been a nightmare. But oh, <laughs> they're back to school now, which is much easier. So uh but um no, you know, we've managed like a lot of, you know, like you have, you know, I managed to, to finish a record during lockdown, but that's, you've done two albums during lockdown, haven't you? Yes. So you the poetry one. Yes, I know. Incredibly powerful stuff, by the way, it must be said. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. And now a musical one. I mean, was that all recorded in lockdown? No, 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 no. I had the, I had the, the music album um, almost done. But um, I had to mix it in lockdown, which was tough. Um, myself and Tim Brown were producing it together. And so normally we just sit in a room and work on that. And I lo- that's one of my favourite parts is mixing and editing and getting it all together because I always over-record anything that I need, you know? Um, and I know uh, it's like being in a sweet shop, isn't it? When you get to, to that bit, you think, oh, I know all the bits. Let's ha- listen to them all again and figure out what's what and throw in some back and vocals here and there that might need it or some weird noises that might need it to bump up the percussion. I I often go in and do crazy sounds, all these little things to hide them in between. But that was hard mixing because it, it just took much longer. Something I did want to bring up anyway, which is something that runs through all of your records, is that they are so impeccably recorded and mixed. And you produce on yeah. all of them. You've got a credit on all of them. Yeah, I, I work on all of them. Um. I just love it. It's part of what I, it's just part of the process, you know, from writing it all the way to the end. I see it all the way through. And, and I do love, I do, I do love producing. I love the, the fun of it. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. Because yeah. it's that um, hardest bit, it's that hard, is the end. Because I'm, something that David Gilmore said to me once, he said, the thing is that like the first day you're in the studio, everything is brilliant. Everything sounds fantastic. So the key to a great album is, the hardest bit is it's everything is down to that last 10%. Is that yes. kind of five months in? It's managing to muster that same enthusiasm on sort of day fifteen of mixing a song as you did on day one. Mm. Yeah, which you clearly and, have. And, <laughs> and uh, yes, I do. I, I do. I love it, and I get. It's just those the last bits. And Tim and I worked really well on this. We're very similar in the way we work, and so it was lovely. Um, we had a great a great um friendship, and um. Just those last bits is the bits that drive me mad. It's the very end when they say, can you sign off on this? And you go, hang on a second. And then you, I go right through the whole thing again. And then I'm calling saying, yeah, the, the drum on that second verse, just the snare drum, it needs, yeah. it needs to be taken down just like a half a dB and then bring it back up on the 
on the second. And they're like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> like, I'm so sorry. But there are things <laughs> that no one will ever hear. But but the, the trouble is with letting, a, letting it go is that you that's it's the first version. That's it forever and ever. And there are other alternatives on any song, you know, and you do worry. I mean, all of us, I think... But I, I think I think creativity comes out of stress, it, 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 rather than anything that's positive. Well, no, I, I, no, I for for me, I I love, it. I really enjoy, it. and I I'm I'm very decisive when when in, into the studio. I I um almost in a backwards way. Um, I know what I don't want. I know what I don't want to hear because I've not I've never studied music, so I don't write. I can't. Anybody around me has to be quite patient because I'll I'll know what I don't want. So I'll listen to something being played and I'll say, give me loads of different versions. No, and it'll be a minor. No, not that into the major. And I'll go, keep going, keep going. A different, not that, not that. And I go, that's the one that I want. And I, so I know what I don't want. And I do know what I do, um, which sounds quite basic, but it's, it's, it's that spark, if you know what I mean. It's that moment where it clicks. You go, that's exactly right. Or when I'm in doing backing vocals and stuff, I, I um, I do tend to do backing vocals at the end because you can vibe off, and then also you can fill in what needs to be done that hasn't happened. Um, and then sometimes I I like that more because you can come up, you can be more creative with it because the the need something needs to happen in a certain area, and instead of being something that you'd expect you have to come you have to use your head to make it work with only you know sometimes it only your mouth so I'll, I'll sometimes I'll think god I need I want a, a, I remember one thing and I wanted a sound of a breeze and I didn't want any synthesizers and I was listening to old um Disney cartoons you know where they'd have all those really high-pitched voices that would swoop in and down and around okay, yeah yeah that's what I need in there. So I jump in and I make this breeze. And sometimes it, I try and make my voice sound like string, like a string or even a, um, what you call it? A theremin. Theremin. Yes. I've had a few people say, oh, I love the theremin on that. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> <laughs> but that's one of the things that's really changed with computer recording, as it's got a vibe, is that you can leave your decisions till later and later and later. <laughs> you know what I mean? Is that you don't actually have to commit to anything until yeah. right at the last minute of the mix, you know, you change and, the and guitar even, amp, you know. Even then, when you hear it back, like I'm listening to it now, going, "Oh, I wouldn't have done that." Something just out. What about what about when you release? Because the way it's done now, you know, the album sort of lands and it, on on whatever platform you you you're you're looking at, and there's only one track available, and you're thinking the record company and you wanted that to be the single, but you feel like maybe this doesn't fully represent my album though. And it's, that's a bit tough, isn't it? Oh, do you know what you've, you've, you've hit on the nerve there. That drives me mad because that, that, that's, a, I'm not good with the, the business side of the music business. If I could not do that, I would love it. I love to write and sing and create and all that. And I find the business side really, really hard because you know that there's a bunch of people sitting around a table discussing what they think will work. And I don't think anybody really knows. I think- No, they don't, but by the way, they don't. It's all that they've been making it up for years. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think, because when, uh, as you know, when you go out on the road and you sing, the audience tells you what connects with them. I love if you, if you do a little kind of secret preview of, of, a, of an album and you can tell immediately what ones move people and connect 
And I've done that before where I'll say, this song is working really well with the gigs. And you have a bunch of people in a record company who often do have your best interests at heart. Like they're often really lovely people thinking we do believe in you as an artist. Because I've been told we believe in you as an artist and we we want it to go well for us and for you. So it's not, I don't find it such a negative thing, but it comes from the wrong place, from a different place for me. It comes from business, not from art or heart, you know? Because in the old days, in the 70s, bands used to take their albums out on the road before they recorded them, didn't they, and get a vibe. I, I saw Pink Floyd at Wembley doing Wish You Were Here before they'd recorded Wish You Were Here, and it all changed after that. Wow. See, that makes more sense. And then you can change and figure out what needs to happen. And, and then immediately you can tell what's the single and what's not. But I've had that before where things where they say it should be this. And you go, really? You sure? They go, well, 16, 32 people discussed it today. And we oh, yeah, all in a focus agree. group, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> One of the one of them is the head of Radio Two, and he he wants this on the playlist. Oh no, that's my least favorite track. <laughs> <laughs> you've, got some, you've got some amazing people on this album as well, haven't you? I mean, it's, I I was quite surprised to see, um, you know, Gina Martin is singing. Yes, Gina in- Martin and Dr. Shola Mimu, too. I'm glad you said that. Thank you. <laughs> I, she's wonderful. The, the two wonderful women that I am. Um, it was an International Women's Day a few years ago that um, I think it was Annie Lennox was hosting it and um, and it was it was held indoors. The weather was so bad. Normally it's out on a march, but it was indoors. And um, so everybody, it was, you could really hear what everyone was saying. And I brought my daughter and it was just, there was loads of men and women in the audience, which was lovely. And these women were, they just knocked me off my feet listening to them. I was jumping up, rallying, you know, with, with, with Dr. Shola. She was fabulous and Gina Martin. They're, 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 they talk sense. It's common sense, you know. For instance, Gina Martin changed the law. She actually changed the law. She was at a festival. A guy stuck, stuck a camera under her skirt, took a photograph and started showing it to her friends. She wrestled with him, grabbed the camera off him, ran to the security, handed the security. The security said, that is disgraceful, whatever, and then the guy has gone mad looking for his camera back. Security man talks to someone on the phone, hands the camera back to the guy. And she said, what are you doing? And he said, apparently he's done nothing wrong. It's not against the law. Wow. So Gina Martin said, well, I'm going to change the law. And she did. Yeah. She went to, to, she has a book out now called Be the Change. And it's how to go about changing laws that need to be changed. And it, it's an incredible amount of work when you read it. Um, going in and out of Westminster, putting your case forward, and she had to hire a solicitor, and it took her over a year and a ton of money to do, but she did it. And um, I couldn't not fall in love with someone who can be that wonderful. Mm. And she's just like I'm. I think she's brilliant. And Shoal is the same. Shoal is well versed. She's a barrister, I think, and she's fighting for human rights, for women's rights, for equality, for 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 everybody. And um, her speeches are out of this world. You know, when I when I write, I love to take my time to get it right and go back and change it and fix it. She speaks like she's spent all day, you know, on, on that on that one page. You go, oh, the point she makes. So I asked them, will they join me on this song, Made to Love, that's about fighting for love and that it's worth fighting for and that so many people have died for it. 
have died for fighting for love for all of us. So I named Czech Martin Luther King and John Lennon and Marielle Franco, who was a wonderful Brazilian actress who was or activist who was shot four times for just trying to improve the lives of other people. And I thought, do you know what? It is worth fighting for. It's that's the only thing really is love. That that is all we have at the end of the day. When you're lying on your deathbed, what did you contribute to the world? If all you can say is love, I think that's the most beautiful thing. And so I asked them to join me on this song. And because I thought their voices, not just the voices, um, their singing voices, which were wonderful, by the way, their voices and what they contribute, I thought would work really well on the album for me personally. And it did. The, the, the track is a bit of a stealth bomber, isn't it? Because you, uh, you don't actually expect it to be about all the stuff that it is about at the end, you know. Yeah. You say, oh, here's another love song. And, <laughs> <laughs> and Ronnie plays on it as well. He was gone wild on it. Ronnie Wood, who I'm mad about. And uh, I, the, the vibe actually, in the studio was great. I was, I said that once I actually performed with you with Ronnie Imelda, but you wouldn't remember. Where? I will remember. <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> At the Roundhouse. Uh, it was a Roundhouse charity thing. Oh, yes. Yeah. Now she's lying. She just said that to please you. No, guys. no, 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 no. Um, I remember. Um, no, I never lie. I say, uh, well, I, I'll always say no. I don't know what you're talking about. But <laughs> Sorry, I'm used to the humiliation. It's fine. That was the first time that I had sang with Ronnie in since when I, I met him when I was 16 and we jammed. That's how we met. Was He jumped up on stage. That's right. He told that story. And, and yeah. we jammed when I was a kid and I was... Where? When we met again, um, I said... It was in uh, Dublin, wasn't it? It was in Dublin, and that's where I that's where I went to music school, was in a basement, sticky floor club that was a... It was a jam session every Monday night in a pub called Brussels. And amazing musicians went there on their night off just for the fun of it. Where in and Dublin was, is it? Well, it was in Brussels pub, which I'm sure you know it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think where it is. In it's Dublin. just by the Westbury, just off Grafton Street. Oh, I definitely know it. <laughs> you, de- you do. Yeah, 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 I do, yeah. And I think Ronnie was staying in the hotel next to it and just went out for a, a, a drink with his brother and then ended up hearing the music go down into the basement. And it was the, the two brothers who ran the pub put this night on. We always thought it was because Dave, um, uh, the, the guy who owned it and... Uh, he was the worst. He was a terrible drummer. And the only way he could get a gig was to put on a, <laughs> a club and be the drummer. <laughs> I know what I'll do. I'll buy a pub and I'll put on a night and I'll be the drummer. More, more power to him, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, he was such a great guy. And that was the only stipulation was he had to play drums. And so everybody came down. It was... Van Morrison's band and Hot House Flowers. And- well, it was like, you've got to come down and check this drummer. He's awful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to know two songs. I want to know the song that you jammed with Ronnie on that he jumped up and, and also where you, who, what song you played with, Guy. Oh, great, thanks. Loudest. Right, there you go. Pretty sure it was a 12 bar. It was two songs, it- actually. It was- <laughs> yeah, go on. I can't remember. It was I- Rolling and Tumbling because that's the song I remember doing with Ronnie and... Um, that's right. And I and it was enough because I was singing 
blues and then that night at this charity do it was Roland and we said let's just do it and it was just a jam because I don't think we, yeah, we didn't I don't think we rehearsed I think it was just like right 12 you know, bar in G or something let's and, go yeah. for it yeah yeah and it was it was so much fun and then there was a Etta James song we did together I can't remember this is a good but, opportunity though to just to imagine you as uh, you know beginning and setting out yes. in Dublin and where you started because you you grew up in the Liberties didn't you which is a quite a, a, a tough area or were yeah. you living in a big posh house in the middle of a tough area? <laughs> yeah, did you own? No, it was um, it it was a tough area in that there was no money in the area. It was a, it was um, it just without going too too taking up too much of your time. It was um, Guinness's was the main factory in that area. I was brought up with the smell of Guinness, the hops brewing beside me. Um, what happened was that was all like almost overnight computerized and the whole area was out of job out of a job all at the same time oh, so wow. the unemployment where it was just rife there was i remember the suicide rates were up drug problems were up because families all went into guinnesses you know people because they used to take care of their workers there was great health care and they had fitness and dentists and stuff it was a really good job opportunity for whole families so overnight, a whole family was out of a job. What year? Um, that would have been uh, late 70s, early 80s right. is when that all started. And so the place was already a, a, a working class area and um, that was probably hanging on by its nails anyway. And then that just killed it. So it was tough in that way for, for everyone, but the community... I mean, I go on about being from the Liberties a lot because the community was amazing. They are... Well, so it's, it's an amazing they, name, even just the Liberties. It sounds like you're communards yeah. already. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. Just from being but there. We, we, um, so the pale wall is just beside us and beyond the pale is actually about the Liberties. Ah. So it, it was under um, English rule and the people broke out from the pale wall and started up their own town beside it and that was called the Liberties. So we're rebels to from the word go. All right, so we are Les Miserables, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so we, we have, I have the fighting spirit in me all the way through and my mom and my granny and my great granny were all from there. My mother was brought up in a tenement house. So it had, it had really tough times, but the people are just magnificent. And there must be music as well. Having spent a lot of time in, in, in Ireland myself and uh, music just is everywhere. It's just, it's what people do, isn't it? it, it... Oh, it's and everybody plays something. Everyone knows poetry, and well, everybody will be a philosopher. It's like go back to the ancient Greeks. We'll, everybody will quote various things. We get into a cab, even. But I remember um, speaking of music. I remember one. I've told this before, but um, it was this JFK ship sailed up the lithium. It was all over the news, and it was a big. It was a big deal just because it was so huge. And uh, so we were called in the local area that there was going to be this, um, God, I, I can't remember how old I was. It was only a kid. And we were called into the area that there was going to be in the local church hall um, a performance from the gospel choir from the JFK, ship, the name. And so we all gathered, all the locals gathered um, across from the church in this, the little flower hall. And um, we all sat down on the floor and all that. And then they sang and they were, ah, it blew my mind and definitely influenced me 
to hear this gospel sang. I'd never heard anything like it. And they were so brilliant. And then at the end of it, this woman stood forward and she said, I'm from the, the Bronx. And uh, she said in New York, she told us about her life and a few people didn't. And she said, I have to say, it was an absolute honor for me to come to sing for the underprivileged children of Dublin. <laughs> we all looked around going, oh God, where are they? <laughs> oh my god I love them. Where they? <laughs> it's us <laughs> so we never knew any of that we had a great time <laughs> so tell us but yeah so your family were you inspired musically by them and well yeah well we had to Two up, two down, and seven of us in it. One record player. So as you can imagine, the music was constant. to be fights for the record player. And that couldn't have been a better education for me because I heard everything from big bands and Nat King Cole and David Bowie and the Carpenters and Bing Crosby. And, you know, it was, it was the specials, Meatloaf. It was because we were all different ages. So I, we all got to experience each other's music which was just brilliant. I mean, he couldn't wish for more. So did, you didn't really have a, a moment with music. You just, it was just kind of always there. And something was it something, and something you loved from the get-go? It was always in my life. And I was always a little bit of an entertainer. And my mother started up a local music and drama group for the kids in the area. And um, we used, I was in it and we'd sing and dance doing old show tunes. And uh, we used to go into local competitions all around it. It was so much fun. Have you got a favourite show tune from back then? Oh, God. My, ma- my mum taught me, um, it was one of my first songs my mother taught me, was Judy Garland. Uh, I'm always chasing rainbows, watching clouds drifting by. Do you remember that one? Oh, your voice. Oh, yeah. I know. I, this, that's unbelievable. That is unbelievable. That your is the voice. best. That's the best thing that's ever happened on this that podcast. Is, is, are you sure you don't have an underprivileged person just to the side? Do you mind <laughs> I actually think you have a, a an, an actually performer's quality to your to your singing, to your delivery. There, you, you know, there is there is that in what you do, and certainly in your poetry reading. I never thought I just go I go into myself when I'm singing. I go into the, uh, I always feel like. Two things happen to me when I sing. I go right in and I feel everything stronger than ever. And then sometimes when it when it gets to that beautiful place, I feel like I just levitate a little off the ground. And I just, I feel like I could, I go to the same place when I'm writing. It's like I, level, I lift up a little bit off the ground. And I mean, as normal humdrum things. And I feel like I can almost catch a cloud, you know? Oh, that's a wonderful way of putting it, isn't it? But what about the rockabilly thing? Where did that? I was going to say, yeah. When when did when did you decide that's that's that my a, thing? Was that a Dublin scene or not really? So what what happened to me when I was sixteen and I went down to this club that my brothers and sisters went to all the time. I used to hang out with them and they used to bring me everywhere. And there was rockabilly there, but it was it was roots music, so it was a lot of blue those blues and jazz and soul and punk and it was all uh it was just such a great great 
Eve and a great place. And when I was that teenager, that's what, um, that was the moment I got totally obsessed. And my brothers and sisters used to bring me there all the time and sneak me in. They'd say, oh, what? what? what's the weather like? And the bouncers would look up, you know, security, and then they'd walk me in and then look back again. And say, they, so there was an, an understanding that they'd sneak me in because I'd be singing all night. And um, and that's, as I said, with, with Ronnie jumping up. But that definitely was the moment that clicked with me. And so I just got totally into that and I couldn't stop. It, it, it was something that I couldn't not do it. So I used to write all the keys up my arm and pen and go to open mic sessions and sit in the corner and hope to God somebody would ask me up. And then I write the keys on your arm. What is what? What? Oh, what what key I sang certain songs in. So you could tell the band. So I could tell the band. That's actually incredibly sort of professional. And that's that's I've never heard of anyone doing that. That's brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) And so I'd I'd be waiting, thinking, because I never wanted to ask. So I wait for the moment where they'd say, Anybody else want to sing? Because there was always the people up the front. And then I I was terrified, but I had to do it. And my mom and dad were great. My dad used to drop me off. They, they'd, I remember when I got a little older, I was 17 or something, my dad would pick me up when he was on his way to work because these clubs would go on till five and six in the morning. And he'd wow. used to come and get me. And they were so lovely. But the rockabilly thing came from, I was gigging and gigging and doing all that. And I was, and then I, I got to a point where I got to be a professional musician in a band that was just, that was a swing band, 11 piece swing band. We toured all over the place. It was great. And I thought that's what I wanted to be. I thought I wanted to be a professional singer. And when I became that, I was severely disappointed because I found they weren't my songs and it wasn't the joy that I thought it was going to be. And I was writing quietly and nobody knew much. And then I thought, do you know what? I'm going to scrap it all and start again. And then I started with my own band and I was writing like mad. It was going well. And the rockabilly thing came in quite late in my life. And it was because I was doing, I was listening to, um, I used to love the Cramps and mm-hmm. the Ramones and all these bands that I heard them doing oh, rockabilly songs. And I remember hearing interviews with, you know, with um, Mark Bolan and all that saying he was an Eddie Cochran fan. I was thinking... Oh, yeah is a really important music so because I got into punk I wanted to know where it came from so that's what led me to rockabilly and my ex-husband was mad into it so he was saying if you want to know I'm the man to tell you and he because he was so into it when we met I was the the kind of roots blues music where he was so I started going through his record collection I was thinking this is phenomenal this is wild I ended up later on working with Jeff Beck and singing with Robert Plant and all. And all of these people tell me that that's what they wanted to be. The Beatles used to say they wanted to be a rockabilly band. And then I remember going to the getting signed and they were saying, uh, I got torn down from a couple of record companies. And they were saying, if you just get rid of the rockabilly, we'll take you on. Mm -hmm. And that sparked something in my head thinking. The Rebel. Why would, it's the rebel in me, the Liberty girl, I thought, that's a red rag to a bull. And then I, but I also thought, why would you want to get rid of a music that was so important? What, why is that shunned when, when, you know, jazz is cool, blues is cool. Why is mm-hmm. rockabilly shunned when it, without it, we wouldn't have had, say, the Beatles or all these other, let's say, all these other bands. So I thought, fuck it, I'm, that's what I'm doing. And I started to really delve into it. I loved the rawness of it. I loved 
the energy of it. It was sexy. It was it was dangerous. You know, all the 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 earlier stuff, um, the all the G, early Jane Vincent stuff, and all. I loved the madness of it. You found an image for yourself as well. Yeah, I just ran with it. I totally ran with it, and I was having such a great time. I ran with it, but then it kind of backfired at me because that was when I got my record deal, and then I got known as this rockabilly girl. I thought, oh, hang, hang on a minute. <laughs> and uh, I loved, I loved what I was doing, but it got to a point as a writer that um, I hit a glass ceiling with it. I wanted to. I felt like I was. I was I was reviving something that that shouldn't have been forgotten. Like I was I felt I had a mission in the way that I was a massive fan of the stray cats and the guana bats and I loved what they did. So once I kind of I did that, then I thought, hang on a second, I can't I can't go any further with this. I'm I've I've written as much as I can I can I've done as much as I can do. And uh and that's when I thought I just I just Pull the plug on everything, really. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Rock on Tours is sponsored by AG1, the daily nutrition supplement. AG1 is a comprehensive and convenient blend of over 70 vitamins, minerals and other vital ingredients like gut-friendly bacteria, antioxidants and much more. Just one scoop of AG1 daily has all the nutrients you need to support your mental performance, energy levels, heart health and immune system. To be honest, it's pretty vital stuff for us because when you've got a life on the road and you're short of time or you're too busy to plan and prepare healthy meals, you're getting your podcast together, you're being shouted at and it's just a nightmare. AG1 gives me all the good stuff and helps keep my energy levels where I need, ready for showtime or doing the podcast and with a nice vanilla taste. It keeps me focused, feeling good, feeling healthy with its daily dose of vitamin C and zinc. And it's so easy to use. Just one scoop a day gives me over 70 carefully selected ingredients. Simple. Trusted by Olympians, F1 drivers and the rock on tours. So if you want to replace your multivitamin and more, start with AG1. Try AG1 and a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first subscription. Go to drinkag1.com slash rockonteurs. That's drinkag1.com slash rockonteurs. Check it out. There's something about your uh, the real musician thing that Guy was talking about earlier. There's something about that being your Irish connection because, 
you know, it's not a place that you imagine people are going to suddenly go, what I really need here is a synthesizer on a computer. You know, when you've got people playing real stringed instruments and banging drums all over the place and rockabilly in a way, everything you've ever done in your entire career has a connect as, as all about real players. Isn't well, it? also, yeah, because yeah. you have made probably the only rockabilly records ever that feature a baram, right? Oh, yes. Me baram, which <laughs> yeah. I was playing last night. I was I had a terrifying moment there, wondering, that, is that how you say it? That's not bad at all. Bowron. Bowron. That was not bad, yeah. I, I love the Baron. I love it. I, I, I'd send you a message. You never used I, to say it like that. I love it. I love it more than you. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's fine. <laughs> I, I, um, I sent you a message, didn't I, Imelda, when I saw you on Instagram playing your Baron. The other yes. Because I had the privilege to play with Donal Lunny. I did a record with oh him. Oh my God, yes. He's an amazing genius. Uh, and uh, it's the most extraordinary thing because I just thought it's a drum. It's got no tuning on it. What are you going to do with that? And and I mean, he, he played to this record that I'd, I was making. And then when we soloed it later, I couldn't believe it. There, he's playing G there. He's playing a C there. He's playing an F there. Yes. Unbelievable. Yes, because you use your left hand to to push the skin in and out, to change the tone of it. Um, so, I mean, you can, uh, the one you can get ones that are tunable and um, just to loosen the skin for um, for the right resonance, you know, if you're in a, if you're in a dry room. Once you get it where the skin is movable on it, then you're, you're in, you use your left hand, you push it in and out and you totally change the tone of it while you're playing. It's a beautiful instrument. You is, get that something you just, is that something you just picked up? Sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt. Is that <coughs> right, something but, you just picked up or did you actually sort of, learn when i was uh when i was 18 i ran away to the west coast of ireland with a boy and i lived in the caravan for a year oh they're the stories we want to hear yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your life is just romance from beginning to end isn't it uh, and, 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 and the film crew and were in tow and ridley scott was there and... <laughs> no the truth is your mum and dad must be going mental <laughs> yeah. they, well they didn't know i was with a boy i lied <laughs> who did they think you were with um, I told them I was with my friends and my mum and dad didn't have a phone and I only went down for the weekend and I remember ringing the neighbour saying, um, could you run over to me mum and tell her I'm, I won't be home. <laughs> I'm staying. <laughs> how does this got to do with the barrel and what happened? Was well, that's that... where I learned to, where to play the barrel and I, I, I did two things when I got there. I got myself a little job in um, a cafe, the only cafe in the, in the village. There was a cafe three pubs in a post office and um and i a, got myself uh so it goes uh, to show the eating to drinking ratio of the... <laughs> <laughs> well the the, the 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 pubs in ireland are uh, certainly are in that area there's such a social structure that the food in them are mm. so you go there to eat in the evening you go to the cafe for your breakfast or whatever you go to eat in the pub in the evening and then a session will start so that's why I learned to play the Bowron because I got myself enough money to buy a Bowron from my job during the day. And then you'd go down to the pub and you'd stay there all day, just surrounded by musicians. And I just just watched and listened and learned and copied what they were doing. And that's how I learned to play the Bowron. I, I have to tell you a story where Guy and I went to Galway, didn't we? Yes. Years ago, um, together, just because <laughs> we're that kind of a, a couple, it looks like. <laughs> but we, uh, we weren't running away with each other. But we went to drink in a pub in Galway, and I forgot who was playing this amazing Irish female accordion player. Very Sharon Shannon. Oh, yes, Sharon yes. Shannon. 
she was she's playing. She's yeah. unbelievable. Amazing. So we're sitting there drinking, and this, the, as it's getting towards the end of the evening, this little guy, Potman. Oh, the pot, yes. Who collects glasses. He's walking around and he's just, he's collecting all the, all the pint glasses up. And this, he's got two massive stalks of glasses in his each hand, you know, one in each hand. And it must have been about sort of five foot high. He was putting a glass right on the end. <laughs> and then he gets in the middle and Sharon Shannon gets a reel going and he starts dancing. <laughs> <laughs> Doing Irish dance or a jiggle. It was, it was hysterical. <laughs> what a night that was. That's right. I once saw an old man with a big beard in a pub in in, in the centre of Dublin um, come over while we were having a session and uh, he played a pint glass with a with a, a penny and he stood there and he went ching, 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 as he was drinking it and the tone was a little bit wrong so he took a big swig out of the pint ching, 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 ching. Oh. <laughs> that was genius because there's a thing, isn't there? There's a thing with Guinness that um, the, the, the proper pros do, isn't there? There's a thing of you you tap your Guinness with a coin and it's only when it gets to a certain tone that it's ready to drink. Wow. Oh, I, I never heard yeah. that one. I'll be doing that. Oh, yeah. there you go. Oh, yeah. yeah, but you don't know what tone you're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be sitting there tapping away before I have a sip. You mentioned, <laughs> you mentioned Jeff Beck. Um, I mean, yes. I saw you playing, actually. I think you, you came on stage at the Albert Hall. I think it was the Albert Hall I saw Jeff play out. And yeah. Came on and yes. How did that happen? I mean, that's... And then that must have taken you into another musical world. Oh, my God. I I, I love Jeff dearly. He's family. You know, he's my... I love him to bits. Um, but I met Jeff through... Well, it was kind of... I ended up working with Jeff through a crow. <laughs> A what? A what? A crow. What, literally, a crow? Yes. <laughs> that was very good. That was actually very good. <laughs> yes. And... Was, hang on, was this being on later? Because I'm sure I saw you on, I think I was performing on later and you were on later and Jeff Beck was there and he wanted to see the band you were with or something. Yes, they asked, Jules said, who are you here to see? And I thought he was going to say Dave Gilmore because Dave Gilmore was on the show. Yeah, he said, I'm going to see Imelda May. And I'm, oh, you were there that I'm night? Like, I was there, jaw, yeah. Jaw dropped. It was um, unbelievable. So I was, um, I did a little gig. I did a little gig in Sheffield. And uh, when I say little gig, I mean little. You know, there was a few, just a few people at it. And um, the, the owner of it took a chance on me because... Um, I'd been there with my swing band so when I got my own band together I said you know gives a job kind of thing <clears throat> do you have an afternoon free and one of Jules Holland's agents or something was there and called Jules so it came up that way um, just naturally and because I hadn't got a record deal or anything like that I hadn't got I had I had no I had no backing or no manager or anything and uh, Jules then asked me to open for him in Kew Gardens so I opened for him and then I got a whole bunch of dates uh, to open them on, on tour. It was amazing. And I went on tour with Jules and Jeff came to one of those gigs. He was there to see Jules and Jeff was there. And uh, but at the time I had rescued a crow that I found under a bush in the local park. Of course you have. And, <laughs> yes. Underprivileged and, uh, crow. <laughs> it, it had not, I hadn't got an, a, a feather on it, so it wasn't even a fledgling. 
and I hand reared it uh, until it was a, an adult. But at the time, I was still I was still that? hand feeding it. Um, but it takes uh, it takes a month for them to get a good bit of strength in them, you know, whether you know whether they're going to make it or not. Because they're they're as much as they're hardy, they're actually quite anything wild is very very delicate. The balance of what they need is quite a delicate thing to get. And I don't think at the time I realised how hard it was to hand wear because I've rescued a couple since. They seem to come to me. I've rescued a couple since and um, I, I, one of them went back to the wild and I lost another one because the mothers do such a great job. You left it in a club or something. Yeah. So, <laughs> and uh, so anyway, to, to cut a long story short. This, I, is, this is an amazing story. I yeah. love yeah, don't, don't cut anything short. It made, so, me, it made me feel so good. So I brought him, I brought the crow around uh, on tour with me on, on the Jules Holland tour because I couldn't leave him at home. So I got a little cat box for when he needed to be, when I was on stage. And he sat, it was, he was in the dressing room in the cat box. And then Did you have a rider? I, Did you have a rider for the crow? Yeah. No, uh, I, <laughs> no. <laughs> I brought, um, so I was, I, I had to feed it every couple of hours to keep it going, you know, through the night you'd be getting up feeding it and all. And, um, and then he thrived, he was doing really, he, he started to do really, really well. He used to sit getting warmth in under me leather jacket. I remember going into the gigs and he'd be hiding under my arm and uh, he was just a gorgeous little, little thing. And, um, but I did want him to go back to the wild because he was healthy and well and very intelligent and very tender. They sit in your shoulder, sit in my shoulder and groom me and and little chit chats in your ear. I just fell madly in love with him. And um, anyway, at this gig, uh, it was Jeff's wife Sandra came over to me and she said, because it got to the point where the crow, I could fling it up into the tree and it would sit in the tree away from me and I'd go and do because it was outdoors. I could do, go and do the gig. And then afterwards, like, ah, I'd call it and it would come down and fly back onto my arm and sit on my shoulder. And uh, Jeff's wife, Sandra, came over and she said, do you, did I see you with a crow? Do you have a crow? Um, and I said, yeah, he was under my jacket, having a little snooze. And uh, I said, but I'm, I have a massive problem at the moment because we were, we were chatting about it. She rescues animals. And um, I said, I'm having a problem because I don't know how to let him go. Um, because uh, I lived in London and there was a lot of dogs around. I said, it's, and he's attached to me. He needs to be near some, someone that he can come back to um, until he's confident. And she said, well, I rescue animals and I have an aviary and I have one that's just become free. Do you fancy coming to the house? And I'd be able to do just that, bring them to the, I'd keep them with me and I, I'm in the countryside and I can release them bit by bit. And I said, sure. So we ended up going back to Jeff and Sandra's house. Then we ended up staying for the weekend. Then we ended up having brandy coming out. And then me and Jeff were just sitting jamming and having great fun, drinking brandy. And then I started singing How High Them. I think it was um, <clears throat> Somewhere There's Music, I've Faith to Choose. Somewhere There's Heaven, I'll Hide the Moon. You know that one? Yeah. There is a moon above when love is far away too. Do, 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 do. You know, anyway, so I start doing that and he start playing. Do, 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 and so he was doing all this brilliant stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said, we should do that. We should do something with that. And then the next thing I know, we're off on tour around America doing the Les Paul and Mary Ford tribute. That 
That's an amazing story. That's an incredible story. But I was thinking, because I'm just wondering about this idea of releasing the crow back into the wild, because it's one thing it being reared by humans, but this thing's been on tour. Yes. <laughs> I never thought yeah. about that. It's hard, it's, it's hard enough. What's to it's like, guys, you won't believe what I've seen. I mean, I know what I'm like when I come back on tour, you know. <laughs> yes. He, he, I never thought about it. He was on tour. And I remember I remember when we were leaving. Probably a total um, diva to all the other crows now, weren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I was leaving um, Jeff's house and uh, and I was I was crying in the car, just missing them, you know, knowing that he was going to be... Sandra was going crow, to... The and I'm... <laughs> I remember... What? That's the crow you were missing, not Jeff. No, it was the crow. And I remember leaving the house and, and knowing that Sandra was going to release him beautifully, as she did. And uh, and I used to go down to visit the crow. And I remember as we were leaving, crying and saying, I'm I'm worried about it. I remember my ex-husband saying to him, laughing at me, saying, are you mad? He says, that aviary the crow is in is bigger than our fucking house. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be grand. It was, in, it was in a beautiful big aviary. And he went back to the wild. And so that's the truth. That, that's the honest to God's truth of how I ended up playing with Jeff Beck. That's amazing. But the crow was last seen touring with the Foo Fighters, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> Black crows, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the birds. <laughs> I know. He's got a couple of tattoos and a leather jacket now. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't want to know me. <laughs> yeah. He's outgrown me. Uh, getting on to your on your to your developing career moment, then going on to work with T Bone Burnett and 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 dropping all of that rockabilly look in a way with with Life, Love, Flesh and Blood. That seems to be just such a key part of your story, isn't it? Oh, it's me awakening. You know, it feels like it's my. Uh, I had a a big moment. I I think I would say I definitely changed. You do, don't you? You know, life, as you get older, you, you change, yeah. you learn. And and I think sometimes you have to realise the difference between compromising, uh, which you do and you have to do, and it's good to do, between uh, between actually compromising everything. You know, there's that moment where you think, hang on, I'm, I'm totally watering my own self down to make everything be okay for me or everyone else. And it was that moment where I didn't feel like I was actually being myself almost all the time. Like, you know, it got to that where I was once upon a time, but I just got grown up a bit, you know, and me and my ex-husband too, I were best pals and I love me. We're family, you know, forever. And, uh, but we met when I, I think I was 22, you know, we've been together like 18 years. You do change, you either change with each other or apart. And um, we're lucky with the relationship that we have now because he's he's totally fab. And uh, I actually popped in just this morning. We're good. But he saw, I suppose, in me as well. Probably you see things. In, and I just, I hit a bit of a rock bottom and uh, I had to find my way back up again. And, uh, and that's what I did. I just, I got lost. I got totally lost. And I didn't know who I was because um, I'd compromised so much. I'd lost sight of who I actually was. So I had to hit rock bottom, I think, in order to relearn like a child again. And it was lovely in the end, it turned out good, but I'm glad I did it 
but musically, I remember that's why Life, Love, Flesh, Blood was so important to me because it was the first time that I'd written not knowing what I was going to write. I remember sitting down thinking, I'm not going to put any kind of box around me on this one. Where before I was felt like by the end of it, I was writing, I knew what I had to write. You know, this is going to be this type, but I'm going to do this, I'm going to do... But I thought I want to be led by, I don't want me to lead the song. I want the song to lead me. Yeah. So yeah. that's what I did. I sat down and kind of let it happen and be able to catch a cloud and not knowing what it was going to be and just write whatever that mood was that day. And it was very liberating, to be honest. It was, it was, the, there was lots of beauty in it. You know, you feel like you're patching yourself back together, song yeah. by song, moment by moment with each thing that you'd learn and and I was very lucky that I got to do that because some people never get to do that they just keep putting strapping themselves up with bandages all over themselves to try and hold it together I was lucky that I was able to let it go and then rebuild myself and so I did that with music as well and I'm I'm very grateful to have those moments because I feel really like myself and musically as well I feel I can do whatever I want you know, and, and that's what I'm going to do forever from, you know, I'm just going to do whatever I want, whether it works or not. That's that's not um, that's not the point. Because you were and then you were mentored, weren't you? You, you said by by Bono. Was this around? Well, then? he's lovely. He's always yeah. he's he's there. I, I can't I can't remember how we met. I think I asked him to sing with me. Oh, yes, I got a, I did a gig. Uh, it was my first gig in the O2 in the three arena in Dublin. And it was a massive moment. All my family there. I think most of the audience were my family. I remember when they asked me for my guest list and they thought I was joking. <laughs> <laughs> Crows <laughs> plus four. <laughs> it was like, um, can we put, I've, I've narrowed it down to 135. <laughs> <laughs> the promoter must have loved you. So it was gorgeous. And then, I got a message from Bono. Oh, yes, he sent a beautiful black velvet champagne and Guinness. And I was doing a couple of nights and I asked, would you join me? And he said, sure. Turned up and we did this duet. We had a great time and we just stayed in touch ever since. And he's just, uh, so as you know, sometimes musically, I think everybody needs somebody to tell them the truth. And it's hard to get that sometimes. Um, not that people kiss you, your ass. Um, it just sometimes people will like what you've done or maybe won't will listen to it rather than pick it, you know. And sometimes when you get stuck, it's hard to know what to do or who to call. And you're too close to it. You need somebody who can't hear it. And um, Bono is always there in that way for me. Like, um, say Made to Love, I was throwing that song out. I was getting rid of it because I kept working on it and it just wasn't, there was something not working with it. And I kept trying it and pulling it apart. And um, Tim Brown was brilliant and David Rossi was great. We wrote together. And so we knew it was a good song because we'd written it. David did all the strings and Tim was doing all the music and then I, I do all the, the, the lyrics and the melody. So we're a good team. So we knew the, it was there, you know, in the song. We knew the heart of it was great. But when it came to to getting it right, it was me and Tim sitting in the room and I was going, it's just, I can't, it's just, it's not working in that area for me. It's like 90%. I can't get that 10% right. And kept ch chopping it and changing. And that's where Bono comes in for me. 
I'll say, do you have a minute? Can I just send you this? Because I'm really stuck and I'm about to throw it out. And the same happened on the last album with How Bad Can a Good Girl Be? I was going, he was like, keep going. You've, you're almost there. Because uh, you want somebody to say, am I wasting my time? Basically, that's all. Mm-hmm. So I just said, will I throw this out or will I keep on at this? Am I flogging a dead horse? And he said, you're not flogging a dead horse. Keep going on it. Maybe, because I was saying, I was the title was Don't Be Afraid to Love. So I had a negative kind of a connotation with a, with a positive chord. Yeah. So why don't you flip it around? Why don't you do a negative chord with a positive connotation? You know, so I did made to love and I flipped the chords around a little. And then all of a sudden it just clicked. And is so, that how he worked with you on, uh, on, on Life, Love, Flesh, Blood? With, was, he, was he there on the phone? He wasn't in the room with T-Bone Burnett, sort of both? No, 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 no. He, 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 like when you're doing stories of people, they use that in the newspapers that he's there guiding it and all that. He's not, mm. he'll send me a message when he see I'm struggling and say, keep going, you're on the right track, keep going. And he's just very encouraging in that way. You're, you're doing the right thing. When I did, wrote a poem called You Don't Get To Be, You Don't Get To Be Racist and Irish. And I got a lot of shit from that. Um, I was getting death threats. Did you? Ronald, wow. Yeah, because from the far right, because I wow. said you don't get to be racist and Irish, then people thought I was anti-Irish and... It's a brilliant. So I got a lot of. Yeah, it's a fantastic poem. Oh, and and so Bono would just say, "Keep going. You're on the right road with it." And he sent me a little message, or you know, I remember a long time ago. This is the kind of lovely, thoughtful man he is, and we're not chatting all the time at all. But uh, he's just a support. Um, he he comes from art always and kindness, and I think that's always a good person to have in your life. Somebody who comes from art mm-hmm. and kindness. And I remember writing um, and I was having a tough time personally and creatively. It was when I was changing everything. And he texted me, said, you okay? You know, heard something in the paper. And I said, I'm grand. I'm writing this song, I'm stuck. And he said, write it. And I said, well, I haven't got a, I, I can't, I haven't got a guitar or anything like that. I'm just, and I'm a shit guitarist, by the way, but I was working it out. And I said, I can't, I've nothing to work with. It's okay. I'm just, I'm just going to forget about it. Little while later, there's a knock on the door and a guy standing there with a guitar, the a rental guitar. This is arrived for you, and there's no on it, and it says, "Write the fucking song." <laughs> and so I did. Wow! Oh my god! You know, it's it's just a, a lovely support that I don't lean on often, but I know it's nice to have him there because he's a good he's a good reference for. Also, okay. also very handy for instrument rental. Clearly, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very thoughtful. Poetry is really important to you, isn't it? Oh my God, I write poetry more than songs. Yeah, daily. If I could, if I didn't have to clean the kitchen and you know do all those normal cooking and cleaning for. There's there's a mad one on there about masturbation as well, isn't there? That's yes, <laughs> yes. I was playing it. I was yes, please, yes, 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 yes. It's called, um, do you know, it's one of the few that I know by heart because all my girlfriends get it to say, you know, that's the, when we're out with a bunch of margaritas, they make me stand on the table and say this, well, this is the, the, the girl's anthem. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, it's called GBH. I'll try and remember. Grievous battery harm of places, previous flattery and charm for readers' wives whose daily lives are beyond the hum of the drum of the washing machine and routine. And so sit and scream at the other halves for sitting in front of a screen instead of rolling in a bed with them. 
YouTube, you porn, KY new norm, couple solo love with sock gloves and do not disturb on the door down the hall from each other. So batteries acquired to extinguish hot desires unsatisfied, ungratified from the bloke who for a while now is umbilically tied to the strings of his the wife stroke mother of the child who he never strokes as much as the chicken that he chokes on his own down the hall with his tinder kinder. So empowered from her summer in Siam Shazam and the summer that is Anne and the stories Victoria gave her, gave her wings and things that could save her more than any bull she's laboured over, celebrates over and over and over nine times in a row and counting our wrists get tired our little rampant boy expires more batteries required for her waterproof warm silver bullets and joys glittery gliding silicone toys all our wants wills filled thrilled no man's tongue will ever hit that spot again as she rides on the vibrations and the waves of sweet Jesus sensations as she grievous battery harms herself all the way to heaven. <laughs> oh, that was amazing. There's also a brilliantly pro thing when you actually lifted the phone up to get your arm at the end. Oh, did I? <laughs> yeah. oh, that was, that was, that was incredible. Incredible. You should be Poet Laureate of Ireland very soon, I would have <laughs> with a tune like that, with a, with a poem like that. I mean, I, Melda, I think this is, this is probably, like, we can't do better than this now. No, exactly. <laughs> it's time to say thank you, isn't it? Oh, yeah. thanks so much for asking me to be on this. You're, you're just wonderful, and all that you give to everybody, all your art and creativity, oh. and you just contribute so much to the world. Thank you. We're all trying to do our bit in lockdowns. You've been an absolute inspiration, must say, Melba. Talk to you, brilliant. You made the world so a better place. To talk to you too, and thanks a million for having me this good, morning. Good, good luck with the new album. When's it out? April the twenty third. Oh no, it's moved forward to eighteen. <laughs> it's moved forward to April sixteenth. April sixteenth. Brilliant. Yeah. Can't wait. All right. We look luck forward to, to all interacting in the real world again. Seeing you up <laughs> oh, there singing. God. I'd love to give you a big hug next time I see you. <laughs> that was so enjoyable, wasn't it? I that was amazing. That. that was a that was the first. I don't know if it was actually the first, but certainly by far the best musical performance we've ever had on this show, without a doubt. And poetry performance. And um, poetry performance, and it was like a full. It was like it was like the best evening in an Irish pub you could imagine. There was poetry. There was stories. But she's got such a massive and, and a rather unfortunate fight. Uh, but. <laughs> <laughs> But, but you really get the sense of her uh, having a big heart. She's got a huge, lot of huge to love, and and I and um, I'm going to go and play her record. Yes, yeah, so am I. So thank you for listening, and we we're going to have someone else coming into our uh, our boudoirs next. A <laughs> <laughs> virtual boudoir. Yeah. But until then, um, leave a comment if you love us, and put it underneath uh, any of your podcast platforms is that what people have to do isn't it guys? yeah do that well subscribe subscribe that's the most important thing subscribe and we'll see you next week and so it's good night from me and it's good night from them Bye.